Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Theotech Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lim, and today I'm with Dr. Michael Paulus, Professor of Information Studies at Seattle Pacific University. In this episode, we're going to talk about the impact of COVID-19 on higher education, give you a couple tips for effective remote learning, and discuss what this could all mean for a second reformation and the future of the church. So let's get started. So, Michael, can you tell us about what the impact's been for you as a teacher uh, to going virtual and also some of the things that you're seeing uh, that you think we could try that would be new and innovative given the fact that everybody's going online now? Sure. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, you know, my... um, my my position is such that I'm that I'm an administrator, um, you know, as well as a professor, and so I oversee the area at SPU that um, that has been responsible for this online instruction for many years. But within the last few weeks, finishing up our um, our winter quarter online in very short you know very short notice, and then turning around within a few weeks to then deliver a whole new term online. And so that, that group has been very busy with that. Um, and in addition to that, we just having to transition our whole workforce. So um, out, outside of that, um, that instructional support, you know, I've also got a staff that is um, moved online all their work within a couple of weeks. And how do we support an online curriculum uh, when we are, used to being um, used to a model residential campus model where we interact with people face to face teach classes face to face the for me as a teacher i've taught online for a number of years and so that that's not a hard um, that's not a hard shift for me to make um, over the years i've learned um, how different it is teaching face to face and teaching online um, mm. and i like both you know some you know face to face the you know, kind of the the more intimate interactions you can have with people, you know, is is great. And, uh, you know, and, and really, I would prefer that, you know, to have kind of a seminar, a roundtable type uh, class. But I've been able to create um, comparable experiences online by having, you know, synchronous hangouts and learning that there are different ways of mediating presence in, in a, um, you know, in a digital environment. And what, what I think is really interesting and, and perhaps hasn't been explored as much in higher ed is um, how you can leverage the best of both. We tend, to, we tend to default to a face-to-face model or we move everything online. Um, yeah. But there's a lot of interesting things. You, when, when you are able to do both, it's really a luxury and blessing when you are able to do both. It is really interesting to think about your class as both, you know, sort of happening in a physical context, but then having a digital dimension to it as well. And the way that mm-hmm. you can leverage the affordances of technology to do things, you know, um, enhance your class. Granted, what we're doing right now is uh, we're not even calling it online learning. We're, we're calling it remote learning <laughs> because we don't, we don't really expect, um, you know, faculty to create a well-designed online course, um, you know, in, in a very short period of time. I mean, there's a whole mm-hmm. professional uh, group, instructional designers that, that do this work um, and know how to do it well. So we're leveraging that expertise to do some, some simple things that will make the online experience better. But, mm-hmm. um, but we're very much, if you can think of a continuum between sort of like distant, distance learning at one end 
um, and yeah. then like well-designed online education on the other end, you know, we're, most of our courses that we're working on are going to fall at that end of the spectrum where it really is more remote learning. Can you go into some of those basic tips that like as accessible to yeah, everybody sure. as, you know, since sure. everybody's trying to figure this out now, what are some of those yeah. basics? Yeah. And I, I'll, I'll preface it by saying I, I'm not an expert, um, uh, but so my best friends are. So <laughs> um, the, the key things to think about in, in any educational um, context is you have um, you have content, right? So that that that's what what it is you're there to learn about the presence of the content. The the other thing, another thing that's important is the the instructor's present. How is the pre- How is the instructor presence of the class and connecting with the content? And then the third dimension is really what we call social presence, and that's how students learn together. So so mm-hmm. you have those three dimensions in any educational environment right so you know and, and it can be physical or online you know there are bad physical models like the sage on the stage where you just sort of lecture for an hour run through your powerpoint slide and that's done not a very good model not a lot of attention to sort of social presence maybe a lot of content maybe a lot of focus on content and the instructor um it's but it's the same it's the same the same dimensions are at play in the online world and so when you're mm. when you're doing digital pedagogy, you, you want to think about how am I present as an instructor? That looks a lot different online than it does in, in a face-to-face environment. So it means, the research shows it means things like you, uh, you interact with your students regularly in, in different ways. You know, introductory videos are a good idea, uh, audio feedback on papers, uh, constant, mm. you know, uh, evaluation and feedback with students through early assignments and consistent assignments, just so your students feel like you're there <laughs> paying attention to them and connecting with mm-hmm. them. And so there's a lot of flexibility in how you do that, but being attentive to how you are present in the course with your students. Content, you know, there you have to del- you have to do content differently online. It is not uh, usually a good idea to just um, record an hour-long lecture and just make students watch that. Um, we know that, you know, beyond six minutes, you know, you, people won't persist. Uh, so vi- so any video con- re- video recorded content has to be um, broken up in, in smaller bits. Also, we have to be sensitive to, to you know, issues with connectivity, right? So yeah. if, if your students don't have good internet access, if they don't have um, good equipment that they're using, expecting uh, them to watch, you know, hours and hours and hours of video is, is, is not realistic. Um, so how you, how you kind of unbundle um, your content in, in a class that's engaging online is another component. And then the social dimension is really about how are students interacting with each other? How are you facilitating discussions um, in an online environment through discussion groups, project work, um, you know, breakout rooms and, and Zoom or whatever. So, so those are, you know, those are some tips, um, but really thinking about those three, how those three things interplay, instructor's presence, presence of the, con- of the content and social mm-hmm. presence, how those things, how those things are dynamically, you know, integrated in a way that is um, creates a positive learning experience for students. And it can. I mean, there's a lot of research out there that says if it's done well, you know, you can actually create a very, very robust um, online learning experience that may be better in some cases, depending on the content, depending on uh, mm-hmm. the type of education that it is, it could be better than a, than a, a face-to-face instruction. 
what have you seen um, in terms of the difference between synchronous and asynchronous where, um, you know, everybody's on a Zoom call together at the same time versus maybe the video is shared and then people can discuss it in a message board and do their assignments and get feedback from the teacher? What have you seen in that kind of distinction? Yeah, I mean, I, I've done, so there's a class I do, usually it's a small group, six to eight people, and we do a synchronous seminar. Um, kind of discussion. Um, and, right. and that works well. If you if you get more beyond that, it gets really hard. I will say that that all the video platforms we have, whether it's Zoom or um, Google Hangouts or whatever, they are just not designed well for having large group discussions. Um, mm-hmm. And so, so there, there's there someone someone has yet to develop <laughs> the right um, the, the right video uh, tool that would actually facilitate, in my mind, uh, a really mm-hmm. engaging, um, you know, sort of big class online. So, the, so the larger the class goes, the the more asynchronous it tends to become, and, and at least in my experiences, it has worked better. So that mm-hmm. you you do have more, um, you know, here's content, reflect on this content, you know, join this discussion to interact with this content, falling into more model like that. Um, but there are mm-hmm. there are ways you can you can kind of blend you can kind of mix those things up whether it's you know online office hours or short sort of session introductory sessions where everyone's um, you know present initially but really doing a big class you know synchronously that's hard. What do you think would it take to have a, an online form that could do big kind of class discussion well or the big class room well? Well, the, the, the activity that needs the support is called active learning. So that's when you have students, you know, work something and, you know, kind of spontaneously work together in a group, uh, you know, work with some content that you've given them. Um, and so that's, that's what the, the next gen academic video conferencing platform needs to, needs to have included in it is how do you support active learning? I mean, the mm-hmm. physical model, if you sort of think the physical model, um, we have some classrooms that were designed with, uh, and I'm not saying this is the best design, but this is a design and it, it's worked well for some classes. You know, you have an instructor podium, um, you know, control for the, the different displays in the room in the center of the room. And then you have um, tables sort of in little pods that, that sort of surround that. And then the idea is that the the focus is not, the instructor, you know, again, going back to that sage on the stage image, but it's really the content. And so you have the instructor sort of facilitating different activities with all the people in the room who are working in small groups. So how, you know, how you do that online um, in a video, you could imagine something comparable to that, I suppose, but it would have to be, it would have to be fairly dynamic um, and allow the instructor to kind of you know, bounce around and join different groups and let the groups mm. break out in different ways, reconfigure easily. And there, you can sort of make that work in, in, in some limited ways in Zoom, but it, it's not as, uh, it's not as flexible or dynamic. Yeah. We tried that with our recent Pray for Tech virtual gathering uh, oh. where I had a scripture, four topics that we were praying for related to COVID-19. Uh, one of them was actually I took all the the list of essential businesses that the governor put out for Washington, and then as like kind of like fire starter for ideas, and then would break mm-hmm. out uh, and pray together in our different groups. Mm-hmm. 
and um, and then I would pull it back together and we'd do the next topic. We would go over the topic and then we'd break out and pray and we'd do that four times. And it wasn't perfect. Uh, there were limitations yeah. like you couldn't see the slides once you broke out into your other room. Yeah. So you yeah. lost yeah. that, but it yeah. worked pretty well. I was surprised. Okay. Uh, in terms of like, in terms of like praying together, like that was great. It was yeah. probably just, in terms of the emotional impact to me and spiritual impact to me, it was equivalent to when we've done it in person, um, interesting. an event. So that was cool. Also something interesting in what I heard you say, which maybe has already been happening in education for a long time was you talked about the instructor less as a as a sage on the stage and more as a facilitator. And that was just a very interesting nuance in what you said that I noticed because it does seem like a lot of things are moving towards that role of facilitation, like the leader as a facilitator yeah, rather than yeah. the teacher necessarily. Yeah. And that's, I mean, part of that is just, we've learned a lot about uh, learning science and what works well, what doesn't work well. And, and our relationship with information has changed dramatically in mm -hmm. that there isn't this, the, you know, the professor is not this, um, uh, container of you know all this knowledge that then has to be sort of transferred and dumped into students. Um, you know, in, in the in the nineteenth century, you know, they used to you'd have the published lectures, <laughs> and the students would um, mm -hmm. that that was essentially their notebook, but annotated. The instructor was known well known enough. So the so now what 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 a professor you know or sort of content. Um, expert or wise person brings is that is more about sort of the um, getting to the deeper questions, um, getting to the more, you know, insightful exploration of knowledge and not just the transfer of information. And so there is still is a place for the lecture. It's just proportionally less than it used to be. Yes. And I, I think much more, I think it, well, personally, I think it's just much more interesting <laughs> to, mm -hmm. you know, not to have to spend a lot of time with content uh, dissemination, but to actually get people talking about ideas. And they, I, you know, this is an old idea. It's the seminar model. It's like, you know, you, mm -hmm. you, you read a bunch of stuff, you know, you come and you, you sort of, you know, engage with ideas and work with ideas and transform ideas. I mean, that, that's what most that's what most people in education want to do. They don't want to just deliver information and test people to make sure they have it. So it's just the the tech, you know the the access to information we have now, the ease with which we can um, we can offload to a certain extent some of some of our knowledge and memory, <laughs> not entirely, yeah. but but to a certain extent we don't have to hold all this in mind that we used to have to hold in mind because it was so hard just to have access to it. So that mm. that that sort of there's sort of a cognitive offload there that frees us up to spend more time actually doing more interesting stuff around knowledge and knowledge creation and wisdom and and all of this i mean i you know the parallels you know for for what is and could be happening in churches is quite clear because you know churches adopted educational models that had existed before they did yeah and so but the churches usually followed not led the transformation of those models um, mm. And they've grown in parallel to a certain extent, but anytime, anytime I see a pastor in a robe, <laughs> it's it's sort of a you know it, it's it's a it's a very obvious reminder that you know this this model of engaging uh, with knowledge is is borrowed from the academy. Yeah, and so that means that um, we have an opportunity right now where the academy is kind of moved forward into the more of the seminar style. 
And it sounds as if uh, our churches could more widely adopt that model as well. I mean, this is what I've always wanted to see. And I, and I have spoken with some pastors who, who are interested in this and have tried this. Um, the, you know, what, what I call the sage on the stage is still what you pretty much get in most churches. Someone stands up, exegetes a text, <laughs> explains, mm-hmm. you know, how it's relevant. And I mean, I don't, I don't mean to diminish that. There's, there's a rich history behind that. But there also is a history that, um, that we don't think about that much that links preaching, the activity of preaching with the sermon, which, which is a form of, I see. Um, is, is a textual form. And so that's changed over time. You used to, you know, you used to stand in the pulpit in certain traditions and you had your three hourglasses that <laughs> you would flip over. And, and when, when they were done, then the, then the sermon was over. But so, you know, we've, we've distilled that now <laughs> to 20, 20 ish. I'm Presbyterian. So the, yeah, I'm kind of, this is, this is, this is the, my historical, um, background but yeah now we've distilled it to you know 20 20 ish minutes three points in a poem or something like that and, and i'm not again i'm not mm-hmm. diminishing that I, I i do enjoy a, a nice sermon <laughs> but but it does sort of it is worth asking the question you know as is can preaching take a different form now does it have to be linked to this model of the sermon are there ways that we can engage with content? Um, you know, kind of going back to that idea of swap out instructor for uh, preacher presence um, content, you know, the Bible, um, and then the social presence. And it's a social mm-hmm. presence that I think is what um, is is the area where we perhaps we we do pay attention to it. I mean, we have various parts. The, the whole service is, is, a, is a collective act of worship, of course, and we do have parts in the service where we do connect. But what we don't have um, usually is when do the people in the pews interact with each other around the content? You know, we walk into the fellow Paul, all the conversations switch to what you're doing the rest of the day and what the, you know. So, and, you know, I, I've been in adult ed committees and we tried to kind of structure feedback around that but but if we were to do something in the actual worship service that did pay attention to pay more attention to social presence in connection with the content there's some really interesting opportunities there Um, and as we've now all moved online (laughs) to online church or remote church we i think one of the things we all are missing is um is that sense of community uh we we can we can log into our um, into our Zoom session, and we can mm-hmm. hear a good message. Um, we can worship together in a way. But there's there's something we're missing. Um, and we all know that. And the question I wonder is, well, one question is, how could those services be reimagined to create more opportunity for you know engagement, um, facilitating social presence. But even outside of that, um, and this this would this would go back to you know pre-pandemic church, you know what what are the ways that we um, that we engage together as a community around you know what we're what we're there to learn? Yeah, I've noticed uh, my church before the pandemic we had a rhythm where actually the second Sunday of each month it's a like a ten minute message and then we break out into small groups during the oh, service yeah. and we actually talk yeah, about seems- it and then at the end people share from their group what they got and then and then it gets kind of summarized and that's one model i've seen that has more of that social presence dimension that you're talking yeah, about that's nice. 
And then biblically speaking, I really like it because it's more of the active learning, which to me corresponds to that text in James where it says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yeah, yourselves, yeah. do what it says. And that kind of actual like, hey, let's try to, let's try to think about it. Let's try to do it and try to apply it um, and not just sit and listen. It seems to be yeah, actually a yeah. biblical sound thing to create space for in worship, in the worship service even. Um, and that's actually been probably the hardest thing for us to try to virtualize um, because of the reasons that you mentioned in the beginning, where it's like a virtual classroom is very different than an in-person one. And the ease with which you can kind of transition from plenary to breakout to plenary and keep yeah, everything on yeah. track is kind of, yeah. it's just different. Um, but I think it's pretty cool that it's even possible uh, and that we get to experiment with it right now to see what are the new ways. But even outside of church, I've noticed actually that I've had a lot more social time now because like I'm kind of regressing a little bit to my teenage self and we've been hopping on Discord, which is this game server and playing games oh, with my yeah. friends that I have not yeah. talked to and hung out with a lot in the past. Yeah. But now it's like, now it's like, hey, we're all kind of at home. So want to play? <laughs> like, sure, let's play. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so we've been having more of that aspect of life return that was kind of gone after middle school for me, at least. Yeah. Um, and so that's been interesting too, to see, to see you know, older forms reemerge in a new way of connecting with each other um, and having shared activities and things like that, that, yeah, before it was kind of drowned out by the noise of everything else that was going on. Yeah, that's really interesting. The evolution of networks. I mean, you know, you, you could have, you always could have done that. Um, but now you have sort of the time um, mm -hmm. and larger need and opportunity to kind of reach out and sort of reestablish older networks through network technology. Yep. Yep. And the social context has changed where it's not weird anymore. Like there's no more yeah, sale freeze. Yeah. It's literally like you don't need an excuse <laughs> to reach out to someone. You just reach out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and one of the, you know, another, another piece of this that, that I think about with the particular church is, and this, this has less of a parallel with higher ed because, you know, higher ed is still more of a, um, it's a place, it's kind of this lockdown place and it's defined community, but the church, you know, the church has always been part of this um, historical and global community and the, and the, the local churches that we go to, you know, are, are a bit of an artifact in terms of, you know, in the, in the old days, you needed a place that was kind of close to your home and you had to walk there or ride the mm -hmm. buggy there or whatever. Um, and then we just started driving and then we started to like, it was easier for us to kind of shop around and go to other churches. Um, but yeah, we still have this very physical, local conception of what, a, what, what, a, what an individual church is. And as churches mm -hmm. connect to, um, as they become networked and connect to other, you know, possibly other churches, uh, that really opens up what, how the church can engage uh, and, and facilitate engagement with you know, it's members and other members, mm -hmm. you know, I, in Seattle, we have maybe half dozen or so Presbyterian churches that are, well, we have more than that, but we have maybe half dozen that have more than like a single pastor on staff. And even the largest of those churches has declined significantly in the last 10 years in terms of numbers, but there is this contraction and it's harder and harder for any one church to sustain the whole slate of programs that they used to, um, offer, you know, for all the different age groups, and um, as that contraction continues, as it will, more, fewer, fewer and fewer churches are going to be able to kind of offer 
you know, very robust set of, you know, life group, care groups, uh, you know, for their members. But do they need to, you know, or, or can the church sort of rethink itself as, you know, just a, as a local network, not a set of buildings <laughs> in which, you know, everything has to happen. But thinking about the sort of the digital dimension of what, what the local church can be. Um, and I'm just talking within one denomination in particular. I mean, it, it could be bigger than that. Um, but at least in, within a particular denomination, it, you already have a, some sort of shared institutional um, structure. Yeah, and it really transforms it from being viewed through the lens of a building or locality, like you said, to being just a, yeah. just a locus of relationships as a network. Right, right, it, right, right. Like, and we can have we can have a lot of overlapping networks that we're members yes. of, and that is actually where a lot of value is created. Um, it's mm-hmm. not it's not just localized to the one place. It actually is that interweave that interweaving of relationships throughout the whole world that right, forms right. us as the body of Christ. And now right, digital technology. Right reveals that to be the true structure rather than the former one, which was limited by locality. But we mm-hmm. haven't been able to kind of let go of many of the forms and practices that we built around the locality-based model and, and right. kind of lean into the one that's based on our relationships until the coronavirus has, I think, been that big disruptor um, that, yeah. that kind of displayed the obsolescence, I guess that you could say, of the yeah, old way of yeah. And we could try to rebuild that or keep it alive or whatever. But after the coronavirus, because of its global impact, it affects everybody. It makes sense for everybody, I think, to realize we've got to lean into the future. Um, Right. Right. Like it's not, it doesn't make sense to keep those old, older ways of thinking about it around. We have to actually be experimenting right now to figure out what the new way is. Right. Right. Yeah. And we, you know, we've been forced, we've been forced into this, you know, we've closed our buildings. <laughs> yeah, literally. You know, so, so we've been forced into this online-only um, way of interacting, and you know, a lot of people are are they're just like, oh, I can't wait to get back to the original, and we'll just like, you know, reverse everything. And some things, yes, we want to get back to some things, but but I, if we don't ask the question, um, what what did we learn from this, and what actually might we want to continue? Mm-hmm. And and maybe you know maybe just going back to meeting in the building once a week isn't 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 the right path forward. Um, it would be the path back, but yep. maybe it's not the right path forward for the church. Yeah, obviously, like in, in my world, I talk I use the language of a second reformation a lot, yeah. uh, and what that means. Uh, and this is I think this is the disruptor that I I didn't know when I gave that talk mm-hmm. what it would be. Mm-hmm. I think this is the disruptor actually. Yeah. And the technology has now been revealed as, as what God has given us for this time season yeah. to lean into the future. Um, and I know you've done some work writing your 9.5 theses. And I just wonder like what the intersection is there, what you see from your ideas and how they're playing out and what we're experiencing right now. I, I have sort of an interesting background coming into the, the intersection of theology and um, technology. I mean, I, I did graduate um, programs both in library and information science and in theology. And so for a long time, I, those were more about kind of the history. It was more, it was trained more of a historian, really, sort of the history of the book, the history of the church. But as I, as I actually went into started my profession, it was, it was also about, you know, building digital libraries and digital literacy and all that and, you know, mm-hmm. digital education. And so I very quickly began to, to think more about the intersection of technology and theology from a historical perspective. Um, and recognizing that, you know, about 20 years ago, 30, 
a lot of things change very quickly. <laughs> you know, yeah. internet, social media, mobile technology, and even within the last, you know, five five to 10 years, you know, artificial intelligence, big data, cloud computing, you know, internet of things. I mean, we have, within the generation, uh, within my lifetime, we have, we have radically, um, our, our existence has been radically reconfigured. Um, mm -hmm. How we understand ourselves, how we understand our role in the world, the nature of our world that we're, we're, we're enveloping our world with um, new information and communication technologies are changing everything radically and rapidly and irrevocably. And so for me in higher ed, that's been a very, even it's been hard in higher ed, but at least in higher ed, you know, we're facing these changes where, you know, I'm leading a digital transformation um, initiative at SVU. And so that's, we're asking mm -hmm. a lot of questions about how do we update our, the content of our curricula, um, you know, new, new data literacies, data analytics, data science, thinking about AI across the disciplines. Mm -hmm. How do we how do we change our pedagogy? How do we change how we do education? How we do scholarship? Um, you know, what does the institution look like? Uh, so, so there's, I mean, everything, <laughs> every 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 dimension of our lives uh, is being transformed, and so that that's all true for the church too. It's it's all true for how we you know how we connect this ancient wisdom that we have with the the rapidly changing society we live in uh, you know how are we ministers of reconciliation in, in the midst of this this radically changing uh, society um how do we shape the future of of all this stuff we're not passive you know we're not passive um, observers of this we're all active agents in what's happening and so how do we um how do we participate in that so the, those nine point five theses uh, was an attempt to kind of break that big challenge down <laughs> into, into some, uh, some, some focal questions or assertions about the, ch the massive change that we're living through right now, how we begin to think about that and how that, how that begins to change uh, what we do um, and how we engage with that reality. Yeah, that's really good. And we actually, because of COVID-19, uh, Theotech is now offering digital church transformation, digital ministry transformation consulting, yeah. because we realize many wow. people have been able to get by without, without yeah. having to learn these things. And now that COVID-19, it's like, oh, there's a desperate need to get that skill, the basic skills of digital literacy uh, to master that, but also yeah. to think about the future of what happens after all this and how do we and lean into that. And that's actually what I think is, is the more interesting, but also challenging question. So if you look at digital transformations, you know, you know, it, it goes back over a hundred years or so, you know, we, we first started to, you know, create electronic records and digitize things. And then we started to automate and digitalize things, you know, sixties and seventies. But now we're looking at, you know, these, these transformative technologies like AI and and th these are not th these change everything. <laughs> I mean, these change how we know what we know, um, what we can hope for, what we should do. Um, mm -hmm. I would even say sort of what 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 a human being is. And so so you can get people to the okay. And and the church is a good example because it's most churches are just in that kind of digitalization uh, stage right so it's like yes. okay yeah we've been using digital stuff for a long time you know we have a website we you know have electronic records and all that maybe we have a screen in the sanctuary but now we're looking at the digitalization phase which is like how do we do church online 
how do we do communion online, <laughs> right? Um, how do we have small groups online? So that, you know, those things, those are good things. But, but again, that, that sort of, that stuff's been going on for a long time. Online mm-hmm. church has been around for a long time. Yep. But the real question that we really should be asking right now when, when we're forced to ask it is not just how do we virtualize things, digitalize things. How do we actually begin to do new things? How do we begin to leverage these technologies to do something that we couldn't do before? And that's the question that, that all, most businesses are asking that question right now. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. I think most churches should be asking. Now, granted, you know, they're, they're, we're in the midst of a crisis. There's sort of immediate stuff that, that has to happen. But very soon, <laughs> you know, if, if, we're, if we remain in, um, you know, kind of lockdown or you know, stay-at-home conditions for the foreseeable future, doing an online service, doing online small groups, I don't think it's going to be enough. I think we're going to need more. I think we're going to need the church to help us build out our social networks figure out new ways to engage with people inside and outside the church, um, people around or around us, our neighbors. There are things out there that we can all kind of do on our own, but the church could be a catalyst for what transformative engagement looks like at this time and into the future. Yeah. I, I've seen, I, like the way that I think about it is almost like the majority of churches, their main value proposition for the longest time was in-person community. And that now is no longer a value proposition because we can no longer yeah. be in person anymore. Yeah. And as a result, I don't know if I can draw this correlation very strongly, but it reminds me of when the disciples and the apostles were persecuted in uh, Jerusalem and they had to scatter. Um, yeah. But in this yeah. case, scattering is happening online. And now so many churches that before had no real online presence and witness that they were yeah. leaning into are all having to go do that. Yeah, um, yeah. And it becomes a new, it becomes a digital frontier for evangelism, worship, discipleship, all the, th- all the core yeah. great ends of the church having to happen in the virtual world that before was in a sense kind of largely unreached. There were some that really focused on that yeah. and did it more from marketing and reach outreach perspective. But now it's actually yeah, yeah. communal life that is having to be ex- exposed online. And I think that's very different. That's why a lot of the existing online church platforms, they were designed for something different than what we're going through right now. Yes, they were designed yes. for outreach and marketing um, and mass communication. But now what's happening is how does the life of the church continue to right. manifest itself as a witness when it's on the online medium, in the virtual medium? You point, you point to early church and it's actually a very good model because you know, the, the function of manuscript letters in the, in the early church, I mean, people would convene. <laughs> they would yes. convene to hear the reading of a letter. Paul saying, oh, I wish I could be there with you in person, but I'm here in the presence of this letter. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's, you, you sort of have to sort of let go of this model that we've become comfortable with and think mm-hmm. about how do we avail ourselves of the technologies we've been blessed with um, you know, to create community and that, and you're right. I mean, it's, it's like, it is, it's much more than just virtualizing, um, you know, what we were comfortable with. It's really rethinking what is the core mission of the church and how can that mission be, um, realized and fulfilled given the constraints, but also, you know, the great opportunities that we have. It would be so funny to me if, if, uh, if Paul was around today and he was using Instagram stories instead of written letters or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Second yeah. Corinthian Instagram story, you know. 
It'd be so funny. Well, and it's it's interesting because I'm not an expert in this. You know, I study a little bit about about this sort of thing, but but my understanding is that um, you know that what what Paul did is he created a whole new genre with with his letters. Mm. Um, you know, there yeah, there was there's sort of epistles and forms and things like that. But what Paul did with the letter um, was you know, it was revolutionary. And so, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think he would have said, what's, what's the right medium? <laughs> what's, what's the right message to go with that medium? Uh, they've done some different that, that is even hard for me to imagine because I'm not that creative, <laughs> um, but yeah, it would be, it was something familiar to us, but yet radically new and relevant. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the encouragement. I've been trying to uh, encourage pastors that now is a great time to experiment. Now is a great time to fail. Yeah. It's safe it to is. fail. There's it nothing is. embarrassing anymore. And now yeah. is the time when you can learn how to use these things in an innovative way, even. Like you don't have to feel like you have to fit the social media right. culture. Right. You could be doing a prayer on Instagram every morning and maybe nobody views it or whatever, but you learn from it. Or maybe everybody yeah. loves yeah. it. There was a phenomenon recently of this security guard at, a, I think, Indiana or at the Cowboy Museum. And he never used Twitter before. His grandson asked him to get on Twitter and to tweet out the different exhibits that they had and everything. And because he didn't know the medium, he was doing a lot of really funny things. Like he would write out, (laughs) my grandson says I'm supposed to hashtag this, hashtag John Wayne. And he would write out the word hashtag. And then he went like, I did it wrong. I'm supposed to use the hashtag symbol. And then he did (laughs) hashtag John Wayne. And it became kind of internet meme, but it was just that it was a humorous one. It wasn't mean or anything. And people just loved yeah. it. It was a source of comic relief. He was showing pictures and uh, kind of, it's, it was his journey into digital culture, but in the process, yeah. he was changing digital culture. He was changing yeah. the way that we use social media. He wasn't being mocked for it. And he was adding to it, his personality that right, you right. Know, we don't really have. Yeah. And I think, yeah, we don't have the answers yet, but Man, if more and more of our of our people, Christians, not just pastors, but we wanted to lean into yeah. it, we'll discover things and it's going to be fun and it'll be creative and it'll be part of the witness of the gospel that we've been lacking because we've just been yeah. so focused on the in-person side. Yeah, I mean, you're, you, you, those are two very important points you've made. You've made more than two, but two that really, I think are really, uh, you know, to highlight is, is one, just this is a good time to experiment because people understand, you know, this, this is, this is mm-hmm. new, this is unprecedented. This is a time to launch a thousand ships or <laughs> that's the wrong metaphor. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, to, to try a lot of different things. Um, but the, the other point that, that, that was in there that, that, that hit me was just, uh, people do value authenticity and, you know, it's, it's not about being perfect um, mm-hmm. or kind of, and we, we've been trying to communicate this to our faculty too. It's like, you know, this is not an ideal situation. You're not going to create the ideal online class. It's going to be rough, you know, just be authentic, build relationships with your students, focus on that. And we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll evolve a good, a good educational experience in the midst of that. Yeah. And, and I think that people will value it more deeply because it's not about the show and it's not about right. the polish. It is right. about the right. love that you're pouring yeah. into your people. That's right. It's about the relationship. Yeah. It's about that, that connection that we're all struggling with right now because the typical ways that we do that are not available to us. Thank you for listening to the Theotech Podcast. If you'd like to connect with our guest, you can find a link to his blog and Twitter handle in the podcast description. I also want to thank our patrons for enabling us to equip saints with theology of technology. 
If you would like to become a Theotech patron, you can do so at patreon.com slash theotech. Thank you, and until next time.